How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the Extra Pass Podcast. At long last, we have returned. I'm Josh here with Jack, and it's been a pretty eventful week in the NBA, finally. Um, we haven't had any coverage since the um, trade deadline, unfortunately, but with that said, we have plenty of content to dig into today. Yeah, and uh, so I think the first thing we want to get into today is talk about the MVP, and uh, I think, at least to me, and I think to Josh as well, there's one man uh, who has, you know, started to rise above the pack, and that is the not not very fat anymore Serbian in Denver, Nikola Jokic. And again, what he's just been doing the whole year for that uh, has just been absolutely ridiculous. You know, he exploded in the bubble and he's kept up that production and that aggression. And it has led to just ridiculous numbers. I mean, uh, it's like 27, 11 and 9 on just obscene shooting splits. 57 percent, 42 percent and 86 (laughs) percent. Yeah, I mean, just one of the most efficient scoring seasons we've seen in a long time, as well as the fact that he's an elite playmaker. I mean, he just makes everything go for that offense. And they're back to winning games, you know, uh, since the Aaron Gordon acquisition. You know, they had won eight in a row until today when the Celtics uh, defeated them. And I'm sure Josh will love to talk about that game later. But, yeah, I mean, uh, what have you thought of the Nuggets and Nikola Jokic uh, MVP case. I think that we kind of saw his stats at the beginning of the season and thought, I mean, personally, I thought he was ahead of Embiid in terms of MVP contention, even when Embiid was way ahead of the pack because they offer you similar value on the glass and in the scoring game. But like what differentiates Jokic is clearly his passing, right? And just to me, I always thought Mm -hmm. that his playmaking and vision and feel for the offense is as valuable, if not more valuable, than Embiid's defense. And I think the stats, the advanced stats at least, reflect that this year. He's first in the league in box plus minus, first in offensive box plus minus, which is no surprise, and first in win shares. And I feel like you can't obviously, you know, die by those stats, but he's clearly at the center of one of the most potent offenses in the NBA. And he's picking it up at the perfect time. He's going to solidify his MVP case this past week. And it's pretty much a done deal at this point because um, we've talked about this before, but all the other horses have fallen out of the race, right? Embiid down for injury for two weeks or three weeks, whatever. Pretty much knocked him out. LeBron, Mm -hmm. another contender, completely fallen out of the race. You mentioned Giannis missing games lately. He's kind of fallen behind. And Harden just got hurt again. Harden straining his hamstring. And then even back to the beginning of the season, all the other contenders in the race, like KD falling out pretty early. And Jokic, the meanwhile, has just been humming along, bringing the Nuggets to the four seed. Um, and they're really right in the middle of the pack between the uh, the two and the four. I believe they're six games back of the one, but only a, half and, a game and a half back of the three seed. And I think that's all you really need when you have production that's that absurd. I mean, his efficiency and his scoring volume with his passing it's more than enough in my eyes, and I think everyone in the league I, agrees. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So, in addition to the Aaron Gordon trade, there were a few other acquisitions um, that we thought were going to make some noise in the standings. At least I did. But um, the first one I want to dive into is the Bulls' acquisition of Nikola Vucevic. He wasn't the only player they acquired. I believe they sent Otto Porter Jr. and a few other players away 
to ultimately bring in Vucevic and Tice. And it really hasn't turned things around for them. It's pretty shocking. I mean, Vucevic's production has dropped off. He's obviously at a lower scoring volume now because he's in, he's paired with Levine, but they have not been able to win games, and that's a real problem for a team that looked like they were kind of selling out some part of their future for some semblance of win now. Yeah, I, I agree. It's kind of it's kind of scary too, because again, they're like they they needed another piece next to Zach Levine. And I thought Vooch could do a really good job, but I just don't know if it's the right fit. You know, he's a little bit on the older side. You know, Zach Levine's struggles are on the defensive side. You know, Mm -hmm. we saw that 50-point explosion he had against Atlanta, and they still lost that game because they gave up 42 to Trey Young. And when I was watching, you know, the highlights of that game, I couldn't help but notice that so many of Trey Young's points came on floaters over Vooch in drop coverage. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't want to do be too critical of him because joining another team in the middle of the season, uh, especially defensively when you have limited time to practice, is going to be hard. And he's probably not going to be able to do you know too many coverages, especially at the moment. But he's never been a, a too much of a plus defender, anyways. And that's really concerning for me. Like I, uh, I think like guys like Patrick Williams, Thad Young, are great defenders and can help cover that up, but you still want your center to be a great defender, and he's not. But again, what he does on offense, it should be, the team should be much better than what they are now, or they have been with him, I should say. Absolutely. Three and seven in their last 10, and he's not shooting as efficiently. Obviously, I would give him a grace period to kind of transition into the offense, but when you think about the circumstances of this trade, first of all, it's a midseason acquisition, which almost lends itself to some form of desperation, they were clearly looking for that complimentary piece, but you make a great point. He is not on their age timeline, and if this ends up not working out, and as of right now, all the indicators are that it's going you know, completely south, this is going to look like a really bad move in two years when they're about to restructure Zach Levine's contract and they're looking to bring in a different complimentary star. I'm not sure if Vucevic is the right guy, and I mean, again, if you make a move for your short-term winning window and you regress, I mean, you really needed a move that would put them over the top. They're not even, you know, mediocre yet. They're seven Mm -hmm. games below 500. So it seems like lateral movement at the expense of burning draft picks. And, I mean, they have a pretty solid young core, in my opinion, between Levine and Patrick Williams and Kobe White. But, you know, they really just burn some assets, in my opinion, at the moment. Yeah, what, what does give me a little bit more hope is that uh, in the games since Vucevic, you know, got there, Zach Levine had his worst stretch of the entire season, mm-hmm. uh, which I think does have a, as much to do with, you know, their their losing as he does. But again, um, when you look at you know the assets they burned, you would think they would have rather saved some of those assets to maybe, you know, go after a guy like a Carl Anthony Towns in another year or yeah. two, or someone else who, as you said fits that age timeline better and is maybe just as good, if not a better player than Vooch. So again, it, this could still work out. I don't want to judge too, too soon because I think Vooch is a great player, but it's a little, it's looking a little iffy right now. And as, as you also said, Zach Levine's contract is nearly mm-hmm. up. So 
they need to start looking at that and doing what they can to make sure he stays there long term. Yeah, I think ultimately this clearly isn't a fix that is going to make them contenders or maybe not even a playoff team this season, but at least they'll be able to move forward with Levine and Vucevic under contract and then potentially make a move for a third star or a better complementary player in the offseason and try and restart next season. But another team that's fallen to the injury bug and also just been a pretty solid disappointment since the trade deadline is that Miami Heat. Um, So I I thought the Victor Oladipo trade was a huge steal at the time that it happened, right? I mean, Victor Oladipo, a pretty big name around the league, generally well-regarded in most circles. And although he hasn't been himself in the past two years, he's shown flashes and he's still been producing. So when the Heat acquired him for Kelly Olynyk and Avery Bradley, essentially, I thought that was a huge win. I mean, Victor Oladipo's expressed his interest for to play in Miami for a while now, and I fully expected him to come in, up his production, up his intensity, up his defense, and really put Miami back into the place they were last year, but the exact opposite happened. For one, Victor Oladipo is out indefinitely with a knee injury, and second, I mean, the Heat just aren't that good. They really aren't. Uh, yeah, I mean it's 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 crazy. Uh, and again, like I don't think the Heat were this bubble fluke, right? Uh, I think that team was great, but I it's just crazy how far this team has fallen. And you know, Victor Oladipo as a whole, it's I mean he has just been up and down this whole season, right? And uh, he's been that with the Heat. You know, I, I'm pretty sure like he was playing great in the game where he got he hurt. <laughs> you know, which is just uh, just just you know, disappointing for them. But again, the, the good thing is they barely gave up anything mm-hmm. for him. But you think that the team that talented would just be able to figure it out, right? And such a great coach, you think that team could figure it out, but they just keep sliding and the run just hasn't came yet, right? I still, you know, have hope for this team. I don't think they are necessarily going to get to the conference finals just because of how dominant i think the top three in the east are but you know this team should be the fourth best team in the east on paper yes totally and it's interesting too because their struggles really parallel the celtics i mean they obviously met in the conference finals last Mm -hmm. year and here they are at the six and seven both two games above 500 i think with the heat you said it wasn't a bubble fluke and i agree because that team was humming on all cylinders i mean we watched all of those games very intently and it was very clear that they were just a well-constructed team who played great, too, like-minded. But I think that they are a little bit fraudulent, or at least some of their players, namely Goran Dragic and Tyler Harrow. He's not been good this he is year. not. I mean, he looks 10 years older than he did last year. I, I mean, I remember when he was, like, walking into step-back threes <laughs> against Marcus <laughs> Smart. And, you know, of course that was a fluke. But between him and Tyler Harrow, playing well, but... His efficiency is so down this year. He's clearly not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his shooting as a whole has just been bad. It has. And uh, Duncan Robinson as well has just not been shooting as well either, no. right? So it's the whole team just took a step back, which, again, was kind of expected for teams that made the finals, right? Like when you looked at the Lakers, they, their shooting wasn't as good. But it's picked up as of late, and it was great in the beginning of the year. And for the Heat, it has just never been that great. No. And the the Lakers were not, you know, an exceptional shooting team anyways. And the Heat were. But they have not gotten that rhythm back that they had in the bubble. Yeah. I mean, their defense hasn't been great either. But I think they're currently the the 25th offense in the league. 
And, I mean, for a team that has a, a walking triple-double in Jimmy Butler, a great passer and role threat in Bam Adebayo, and then what we thought were elite shooters surrounding them, there's something wrong with the chemistry. Um, and I, I'm not sure what it is, honestly. It's hard to diagnose. I mean, obviously, they had a lot of injuries and a lot of missed games early on in the season, and it still feels like they can't get their feet underneath them. But to acquire Oladipo and then lose him possibly for the season – um, that's really devastating for them because yeah, exactly. they were clearly in need of something, right? Like they made that mm-hmm. Oladipo move for a reason. And I thought it was the perfect move for various reasons that we've already discussed. So, I mean, if he's out indefinitely, they really needed him on defense in the backcourt, in my opinion. And I'm not sure if they are, like, like you said, I don't see them advancing to the conference finals um, in their current construction. And it's just really unfortunate that he has to go down with an injury as soon as he starts to pick up his play. But that's the that's the way the NBA works, unfortunately. I think uh, the last player I want to talk about is uh, just Aaron Gordon specifically mm-hmm. uh, with that team. Uh, and, and, like, I think that was probably the most surefire great pickup yeah. in um, the trade deadline. And it sure looks that way. Again, his, his meshing with uh Jokic and the whole scheme of that team offensively and defensively is really exactly what they needed and you know you talked about earlier how you know over the offseason we talked about how they had a Jeremy Grant sized hole and for the beginning of the season it looked like they had a Jeremy Grant sized mm-hmm. hole and I don't know if Aaron Gordon is better than Jeremy Grant I don't I, I don't think, think so he is <laughs> but but I think his fit next to Jokic is probably better. Yeah. At least on the offensive side of the ball. Um, I totally agree, And honestly. he is more powerful uh, than Jeremy Grant, although, so maybe he can deal with the power wings better, although Jeremy Grant did do a great job on LeBron uh, in the Western Conference Finals. But I really do, you know, love that acquisition. And again, when paired with how amazing Jokic has been this year, again, that's a team that absolutely has become a finals contender in my eyes. Absolutely. We'll dig into that in a bit, but just to finish off the Aaron Gordon point, I think that on defense, I'm not sure if he's an upgrade or a downgrade from Jeremy Grant. Honestly, I, th- I feel like they probably have about equal impacts, but on offense, the fact that he can do so much without the ball. I mean, some of those plays where Jokic um, really, it happened so seamlessly too. Like the first few games they played together, it seemed like Jokic was mm-hmm. finding him right underneath the basket every single time. Yeah. And Jeremy Grant is evolving into a different role in Detroit now where he really needs the ball in his hand more. But Aaron Gordon is just a walking dunk. <laughs> and, you know, pair him yeah. pair him with the great, the player who I think has the greatest vision in the NBA. And he's exactly what they needed. They now have an elite shooter and uh, like stretch four in Michael Porter Jr. They have someone who can just cut to the basket on any given moment in Aaron Gordon. They have a legitimate scoring threat from the outside and sort of a point guard in Jamal Murray. It's a really well-rounded offense, and they've been playing good defense too. So, um, yeah, I mean, one more team that we want to cover before we get into our contender discussion um, is the Atlanta Hawks. And um, this is a team that made moves in the last offseason who we both ranked very highly coming into the season. So we feel great watching them slide into the four seed. They're currently 29 and 25, and frankly, they've just been playing really good basketball as of late, like they should have been to start the season. And yeah, what I think is, you know, interesting, and but not really about the Hawks is that 
the one of the reasons they've been so good is that their offseason additions that we thought were huge have been playing really well. Gallo and especially uh, Bogdanovich have been really good as of mm-hmm. late, as long as, as well as you know Clint Capella being one of the most underrated players in the league in my oh, yeah. opinion, and Trey Young as well has somehow gotten really underrated. And this is coming from a guy who does not really like. I'm not a big fan oh, of Trey Young. Like the disrespect <laughs> I see for him on Twitter is insane. And it started from like, him missing the All Star game too. I I know, like I get it. He's bad on defense and he baits fouls, but like, look what he does on offense. I mean, he is amazing. I think so. Again, that Steve Nash thing about how he doesn't respect his game. Yeah, it's almost like <laughs> yeah. everyone that watches basketball tuned into that and was like, "Yeah, you know what? I agree. This guy sucks. Screw this." And guy. it doesn't matter yeah. if he drops forty points and eleven assists; they don't care. But I mean, the production's there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, unquestionably, and uh, like again. I still don't know if that's a team that does anything other than, again, maybe win a first-round playoff series depending on the mm-hmm. matchup. I still would be you know, interested to see how Trey Young will react to a playoff setting where teams are going to have so many games to scheme against him and attack him on defense. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, I don't know whether they are necessarily a, a big threat in the playoffs, but I do, I'm very happy what they're doing in the regular season. Yeah. And you mentioned Bogdan Bogdanovich. Quick peek into the stats. His last eight games, he's been averaging 22 points, four rebounds, four assists on 50% from the field, 52% from three, and 87% from the free throw line. Clearly, that production, they've been waiting on him. Um, he got he got off mm-hmm. to a really slow start. but Yeah, I, I heard he had, a, he had a knee injury for the beginning of the year. That explains it. And now he's healed. <laughs> that explains it. So He is healed, and yeah, I mean – they are, I believe, a game ahead of the three teams tied from the five through seven. So, quick run through. The Sixers, obviously, in first still, tied with the Nets. The Bucks three games back at the three seed. The Hawks are in fourth. Um, and then the Hornets, the Heat, and the Celtics are all eight and a half games back of the one seed, but only one game back of the Hawks. And these final few weeks of the season are going to be super critical to see who ends up getting home court advantage. It could be the Hawks. It could be the Celtics. It could still be the Heat. And I think that's going to have a lot to do um, with the outcome of these playoff series, especially as fans are reintroduced in a lot of these states. Mm-hmm. So on the topic of the playoffs, um, we're going to do a little segment right now where we run through our top five championship contenders. No bias included, so don't shame me if the Celtics aren't in mind. But Jack, do you want to start? Uh, thank you. I will start. Um, so... Uh, begrudgingly, I think the number one team has to be the Nets. Um, they're just like the they were so good with just Harden and and uh, Kyrie. Again, I definitely have my concerns because Katie has not been good on defense this year, mm-hmm. right? Many defense metrics have him as negative, um, and I do think it will take time for them to gel. But, again, the talent is so evident, and the supporting cast is great. And they've began to play Nick Claxton more, and he is a really, really good defender. Mm-hmm. I He's so Super good. Super switchable. Uh, and he's going to be a key for them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he still got cooked by Dennis. You know what it is. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, like, he's so big for them on defense. And uh, that whole rotation with, you know, him, Blake, Jeff Green, LaMarcus Aldridge, it has so much versatility um, that they can, again, 
they can match up with so many different teams with that, you know, with those four players alongside, you know, the four guys that I think should be a constant in their lineup, you know, Kyrie, Harden, uh, KD, and Joe Harris. Mm -hmm. And again, their offense is just so insanely good. But what I will say is I think they are barely better than the Lakers. Um, And again, I'll talk a little bit more about the Lakers uh, in a little bit, but what they've done uh, without LeBron and AD and how good their defense has been without LeBron and AD. Still the second best defense in the NBA without LeBron and Anthony Davis. Yeah, It's just uh, a testament to the job Frank Vogel has done and uh, how good on the defense just so many of the guys they have are. Guys like Dennis Schroeder, Alex Crusoe, Marcus Gasol, even if he's played sparingly. You know, even Drummond has been pretty decent on the defensive side of the ball in the games he's played. And, you know, just everyone on that team, you know, coming together to put a great effort on on the defensive side of the ball, you know, really shows me that this team has potential to be special in the playoffs in that area. Really shows me that Vogel is the best defensive coach in the league, too. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's such a good defensive coach. I mean, I could talk you know, for a while, uh, uh, just how different the scheme is from last year, yet it's just as, if not more, effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'll get to that in the Lakers segment. So, yeah, in short, they also have LeBron and Nathan Davis, uh, the best big two, the best duo in the league. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> there's So, that. you're going to give uh, up the so top spot to the Nets? I, I still think it's the Nets, but I could, depending on how they play with all three of them at the end of this year my mind could change and I could buy and how I see LeBron and AD play with the rest of their role players. I just need to see that them all together. Cause I think I just need to see the Lakers at full strength for a little bit before I can definitely put them ahead of the nets. But I would not be surprised if I, the Lakers are still my pick as the champions uh, at the win playoff come play, playoffs come. It's that close for me between those two. Okay. Teams. So who's sliding at the three for you? And I'll just say for the record, I agree with your one and two, so we can skip my one and two in, in my turn, but who's your three? I think think my number three is is the Milwaukee Bucks. Wow. Out of right field. I know that sounds crazy. I was not expecting to hear yeah. that at all. <laughs> you know, I I really was you know, I there's there's a couple teams. There's like th- there's actually four teams I had in discussion for this one yes, spot exactly like I, I i think my three through you know six probably is about is really equal but i really do believe in milwaukee i'm a little bit worried about the matchup versus uh philadelphia yeah but i don't think outside of the lakers there's a team that matches up better against brooklyn i love milwaukee's matchup against that team because you know we talk shit about Giannis in the playoffs, but look at the teams that stopped Giannis in the playoffs. And uh, with the wall, there are only so many teams that can do that. You know, it's not like every team has Pascal Siakam, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Gasol, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, and Andre Iguodala. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, you know, we've seen Giannis be stopped, but if they run into a team, again, like Brooklyn, who I just don't think can stop them and again i don't think there's going to be anyone you know 
who can guard James Harden and, and Kyrie like Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton and can guard KD like a Giannis can if he, if they, you know, challenge him like that. So, uh, and, you know, Giannis on the offensive side of the ball against that weak Brooklyn front line, it's going to get ugly. Yeah. Right? And so I, again, I don't, I don't know if I'd pick them in a series against the Nets, but I, I really like what they've done this year with, you know, switching up the schemes on offense and defense. And I really do think they are the third best, or not necessarily the third best team, but the third likeliest team to, to win the championship. Okay. And then my fourth team is the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Another one that I don't know if this is a surprise anymore, but, I mean, they, A, match up really well against a lot of the teams in the mm-hmm. NBA. Jokic is just such a matchup nightmare for anyone to deal with and the addition of Aaron Gordon gives them that you know physical wing stopper to be able to throw at a Kawhi at a LeBron yep you know at you know a KD at a Giannis at you know whoever they see in the playoffs on their road there and as long as they can be good on defense uh even with Jokic's uh, lie of lack of you know talent on mm-hmm. that end. I, I shouldn't say lack of talent. He's still he's still lack okay, of impact, right? But occasionally, yeah, lack of you know a, a major impact and versatility, mm-hmm. which is so important in the playoffs. Uh, I think that is my you know fourth team, and then uh, for fifth, I got the Clippers. Okay, right. I still have you know my doubts about them. Uh, they're just not a very athletic team. Yeah. Right. So playing a team like the Lakers. I don't know if they can necessarily hold up in, you know, transition and on the glass. And their three-point shooting this year has just been so insane. They have so many guys who are shooting a career high from three that I am a little hesitant to say that that is sure going to, you know, stick and work in the playoffs. But they have been getting to the rim more recently, which was, you know, a- another one of my big problems with them. And... It's, it's Kawhi, right? He, they had the choke last year, but I've seen, we've all seen what he's done in the playoffs before. So, uh, you know, I still believe in them, even with playoff P. So they are my number five. All right, interesting. So you left out the number one seed in the East in the Sixers. And I'll just go out and say that I had the Nuggets as my three for all the reasons that you mentioned. Um, Obviously, like the connectivity of the offense has been awesome, and if they can just play defense well in the playoffs, um, something to mention too that I think is really funny, and we didn't get to touch on this last week, but Jamal Murray was on a defensive player of the year ladder at one point in the season. <laughs> it's absurd, <laughs> that is so funny, and it's based entirely on like closeout speed and how well he contests shots. And I mean, that's not a huge detail, but I think they have the potential with their cast to play good defense and just play good enough defense in the playoffs to pair with their insane offense. So they're the three for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they have the second greatest chance of breaking out of the West, partially because we almost saw it happen last year. Um, I mean, yep. That, that's a, that's one Mason Plumley chase out away from Anthony Davis missing that game winner. And who knows what happens for the rest of that series. Yeah. What, what I think is also very interesting is that if the season ended right now, Guess who plays in the first round? The Nuggets and the Lakers. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah, exactly. It's it'd be like uh, I think that's the Western Conference Finals in the first. That round. That would be a crazy first round draw for both of them, and it'd, I know, it'd be I know. really unfortunate depending on how LeBron's feeling when he gets his feet back underneath mm-hmm. him. So it could, yeah. Um, you know, I actually as I talk about this, I have my reservations about the Lakers mainly because I've heard reports that LeBron might not be at a one hundred and ten percent for a first round matchup, and as we look at the standings. You know, I mean, AD's probably going to be back within the next two weeks, right? Yeah, uh, so seven to 14 days from yesterday, or two days ago for AD. So he'll be back in time for the end of the season, but he won't be at 100% when he comes back, right? There's only three more weeks in the season? Is that right? No, there's more. Uh, Anthony Davis will play... No, uh, I think there's a little bit more than that. Okay. There, I believe there's like five five weeks Oh, left. yeah. There's about 20, um, 20 games uh, left. And, yeah, no. So the the last game of the year is on May 16th. Okay. So we're about a month a so, month left. Yeah. a little. Anthony Davis uh, should be playing uh, like 14 games. Okay. So that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like LeBron will be playing like seven to ten games. Before he comes back. Or uh, before the playoffs, after he comes back. Okay, so with that said, I still feel like depending on where they end up, although they have been playing well in their absence, I mean, if they draw a really tough first-round matchup, the winner of that series could go on to see the Mm -hmm. Nets in the championship. But with that said, Nuggets at three. I'm going to bounce back over to the Eastern Conference, and I think very clearly in my mind at least, the Sixers are the biggest threat to the Nets. Um, you mentioned the matchup problem that Giannis presents to them, but I think Embiid presents a bigger matchup nightmare for them for more of the same reasons. But I, in general, I just think they're a better team. I feel like they have a presence in the half court. Um, and I feel like they actually have facilitators alongside, you know, a scoring and defensive weapon um, in Joel Embiid. So mm-hmm. I think that obviously both of these teams are pretty bad matchups for the Nets because of their positions of strength and where their most valuable players are at the five position and the four. Um, But ultimately, I think Doc Rivers is a better coach than Mike Budenholzer. I think that the Sixers are a more complete roster, Um, and I think that would definitely prove itself to be true over a seven-game series. So if they were to come out of the East, I guess I'd slide them in at the four. But my five, and I didn't think I'd be saying this a few weeks ago, but I'm going to go with Phoenix. Um, This is Partially because my roommate's a Suns fan and he's always in my ear about <laughs> what's going on with Phoenix. But um, similar to Philly, I think that the Suns are they're one of the most well-rounded teams in the league in terms of having yeah. a great defensive presence through their entire supporting cast. Insane offensive talent, veteran leadership and poise in the half court, incredible ball movement. And they have a slew of great wing defenders that they can throw at. Kawhi, LeBron, AD, pretty much every, you know, wing tandem that you'll see in the West. I feel like the Suns have some sort of answer for it. And, I mean, they've been playing great, obviously. They've been great all year. I just think they're a better version of the Jazz. And that's partially because of Chris Paul. Partially because I hate the Jazz and I think they're frauds. But um, I think in a seven-game series, the Suns can match up pretty well with anyone. My only concern with them yeah, I think is DeAndre Ayton. matchup, well, great. Yeah, I mean, matchup-wise, they, they look pretty solid. I really am concerned about DeAndre Ayton because I feel like if they they can match up with any team 
in the West at every position except the five. And that's mainly because of Aiton's defensive limitations. But with that said, I feel like they're such a good, you know, complete defensive team that they can make up for a weakness at one spot the same way Denver, we expect, will be able to in a playoff series. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that between Chris Paul, Booker, and then, you know, their wing grouping, they're, they're one of the, they're a team to watch out for, for sure. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think, again, I had my top five, and I think, you know, the Sixers and the Suns are both fantastic teams that could come out of there, especially the 76ers, mm-hmm. could easily come out of the West, or the East, and I think, you know, with the right matchups, the Suns could come out of the West. I mean, there's so many damn good teams in the NBA this year. Yeah. Like, everyone talks about, you know, how... We're going to see the Nets versus Lakers, but the more, you know, I watch the other teams, the more I'm like, well, we really might not. You mm-hmm. could realistically see neither of those teams in the finals. And for for our sake, I hope that it's not one of those two teams, honestly, because I just always root for upsets. And I hate that the NBA is so predictable. You know, like you, you could have you could have predicted this outcome at the beginning of the year. And I dislike that. So I'm just rooting for something unexpected. And I think a team like Phoenix, um, or, I mean, even in this context, the 76ers would be an unexpected, you know, finals team, right? Oh, yeah, so, like, sure. I think I'm rooting for those teams, and I think I think there's valid reason to anticipate them going the distance. But that rounds out our top fives. Now, quickly, we'll dig into um, our hometown segments. So, what have you thought of the Lakers as of late? Obviously, you mentioned how great their defense has been. Still with the number one defensive rating in the league after losing LeBron and AD, but how do you feel about this team? You know, three weeks from the last time we talked. Honestly, I I feel a lot better. You know, as uh, uh right when I think the last time we talked, I think we were, they were just coming off that losing streak yep. uh, they had, and you know they are are honestly on a winning streak right now. Now, to be honest, they play the Utah Jazz twice and they play Dallas twice, which without LeBron and AD are bad matchups, and they're probably going to lose all four. But even then, I'm not too concerned. But I have loved what I've seen, you know, from the Lakers recently. Uh, THT has been awesome the last four games. He didn't shoot that well against Brooklyn, but he had 11 assists, Mm -hmm. which is so crazy. And, you know, he gets, like, he had a couple possessions against Kyrie. He had one possession against Kyrie where he played – such great defense, and I mean, it was just Kyrie. He drilled a shot, whatever. But I also saw him taking it step, was step back for threes. step with Kyrie, forced Kyrie into a tough shot. What was that? I saw THT hit a step back three as well, which I think is a perfect encapsulation. Oh of yeah, how he, his he, game is. He got that. He has that in his bag again. He has he that does. in his bag. He still he has is a not very a very good bag. shooter, but uh, yeah. But again, even outside of THT, Dennis Shooter has been good. Again, his efficiency hasn't really been there, and his he's turned the ball over a lot. But again, without LeBron and AD, whatever, mm-hmm. right? He's got to he has to do too much exactly. without him. So I'm okay with it. You know, KCP has come back to life with his shooting. Uh, Drummond has been better than I thought. He was really good against the Nets. I mean, actually using his body to you know get down low, and he cooked Lamarcus Aldridge, yeah, uh, consistently in that game. That was like a sign of things to come, and too. Like again, a physical with, matchup for them was really tough for them to handle. I mean, who, who's yeah. matching up Andre Drummond? For all his faults, he's 7 feet, 280 pounds. Like, you can't you can't handle that. Yeah. 
and and one thing I've noticed about Andre Drummond is that he's a lot quicker than I thought he was. Oh yeah, he can hold up in switches so much better than I thought he was. Yeah, which really is uh, a unique thing because I thought he was going to be a guy who would probably be unplayable in a playoff series against you know the Clippers, but I'm I'm starting to come around. You know, on the on the Andre Drummond train. No, so, and also that's on offense too. He's really agile, and he can get to the cup so mm-hmm. easily. Kind of like he just sucks at finishing exactly, there. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I was, it's kind of reminiscent of like Javale McGee, like crazy good athlete. You know, massive and getting to the cup well. Like he's above the rim so many times, and then he's got like dinosaur arms, and he can't finish. I mean, <laughs> I remember there's that that viral clip of him at the top of the key, and he's like he's holding yeah. the ball over his head. And then he, he makes a move to the basket, get like cuts pretty well, and just throws it over the backboard. And it's just like he's clearly not a complete. <laughs> he doesn't have the complete package, but he is. Yeah, he is a physical specimen. <laughs> exactly, and again, it's like they're gonna be so dominant on the boards with LeBron, AD, and Drummond. I mean, yeah. my God, it, yeah, they are a match. So again, I I have, and just uh, you know to hit the defense. Again, I, I want to give a, a nice clap for Frank Vogel. Just what Deserved. he has done on the defensive end has been amazing. Like, like last year, right, the Lakers had LeBron, uh, Dwight, AD, JaVale, and they had all these super tall, you know, super vertical athletes. Mm-hmm. And the, the defensive strategy was to let people go, you know, to funnel people into those guys. Yeah. But that's not been the case this year, right? They have just they have been extremely aggressive at the point of attack and have had to rely a ton on, you know, rotations and communications, which this year should not, you know, be working very well because they came off the short offseason with no practice, mm-hmm. but it has worked like a charm and again. They, uh, uh, again, c- thank you Frank Vogel for being a defensive goat cuz this team should be so bad without LeBron and AD. Yes, but yeah, I, that's that's kind of all I gotta say about the Lakers. I can't wait for Anthony Davis to come back. I need to watch that man play. I love watching him play. Yes, it's been way too long. It has been. But I was yeah. thinking about that the other night. He's one of those players that really is just entertaining in every you know every setting. So it'll be good to see him back on the floor. And I'm really interested to see him and Drummond on the floor at the same time. That'll be. I am too. That'll be that'll be interesting to say the least. But I'm sure it'll mm-hmm. you know work fine given how they played him last year. So, mm-hmm. to dig into the Celtics now, you might have noticed I didn't include them in my top five. And if you've been watching the Celtics this year, you can't be surprised or upset at me. But they have been winning lately. They made a great acquisition at the trade deadline in Evan Fournier. Pretty much got him for nothing. I mean, two second-round picks that's worth like five bucks in the NBA. So, I was really happy that they shored up the bench. He is on an expiring deal. So, we'll have to see what they do this offseason. He could be a Kemba replacement to some degree. I mean, he's been better this year. But regardless, they have won seven out of their last ten and five of their last six. And it's starting to look like they made the right decision in sending Daniel Tice to Chicago. Because ever since Rob took over the starting role at the five, it's been a different team, quite frankly. I mean, I send you Time Lord stats like every time I see them. But... Mm -hmm. He, uh, he's in the top five in player efficiency rating this year alongside a bunch of MVP frontrunners. So just a glimpse of the Time Lord experience. But 
I mean, his intensity. He's, he's so good. He, he's so good. He really is. And the one thing that most people still are like learning about him is he's such a good passer at the top of the key. He really is. Mm. It's kind of like when they had Horford. They'd love to run offensive sets through him at the top of the key, whether it's a dribble handoff um, or a pass into the low post. But he, whenever the ball touches him near the free throw line, it's just it's a really productive possession. He's obviously not a shooter, although I do think that's in his future, believe it or not. He takes a lot of jump shots, like 10 to 15 footers, and I feel like mm-hmm. eventually he's going to trickle out to the three-point line. But even for the short term, um, he's just a really efficient player. He only takes high-percentage looks, um, whether that's a wide-open seven-footer or a dunk, and that's why he's shooting like 74% from the field. But I think the the combination of Time Lord starting – Evan Fournier coming into the starting lineup, and Jason Tatum playing like a maniac as of late. Just came off a 53-point oh, yeah, game. He, I mean, oh, he has the longest man. active streak of 20-point games in the NBA. That's 10 mm, games in a row. Um, and it, it, he's just a very different player than he was pre-trade deadline and pre-All-Star break, really. I mean, that COVID hit, and he really was not the same. But ever since he started to play well, and they made some adi- – um, some alterations in their rotation. They've looked like a different team. I'd also like to credit Romeo Langford. Um, he's come back and yeah, I saw him on the floor. Yeah, I know he's playing pretty he good. Has, he's, he's no longer a ghost, and he's playing he's playing great <laughs> on defense. Um, still working to find his shot, but I was surprised by how natural it looked for someone who's just come off wrist surgery and has been out of commission for almost a year. Um, he really looked like he hasn't missed a beat. We knew the defense was going to be there, but he's been really tenacious and rebounding, pushing the tempo um, in transition. And it's just so helpful to have another guy that can dribble with both hands. Like the Celtics are so star for talent at times. Um, Just adding someone in the middle of the rotation that can handle the ball and get to the cup is huge. And I I really do think he's a part of their future still the same way. I view him on the same level as like Peyton Pritchard, um, two guys that, just you'd love to have in the rotation for different reasons, but really solid anchors. Um, Personally though, I think the big difference has been Rob. We finally stopped seeing the double big lineup from Brad Stevens, which Mm -hmm. was by far the most atrocious thing he attempted all year. And sure (laughs) enough, as soon as he sends Tice away and starts rolling out single bigs, um, Tristan Thompson looks like a good defender again. And you know what's you know what's, what's crazy? That? The Bulls have been running double big lineups with Daniel Tice. Oh, yeah, like Tice is not a stretch four. He's not. He's <laughs> an undersized five who can occasionally hit an open three. So I, I don't. I never understood that, and I, I think Brad Stevens really regrets trying all those games with it because, I mean, it was, it was so, so dumb. dumb. And like the parity between that play and the play um, with just Rob in the lineup is just wild. So. The point is, things are on the up and up. Um, I still think the Celtics have like an outside shot of making a long playoff run again. I can see them making the conference finals matchup dependent. I mean, they're not. They're not going to make it to the finals this year. That's just like how I'm bracing for the playoffs. But with the way they've been playing lately and with the addition of Fournier, because, I mean, he's a 20-point-per-game scorer on great efficiency. That's nothing to, you know, like laugh at. And have him, having him come off the bench does so much for Kemba again long term I'm not sure um where they project him I I think I see a scenario where Kemba gets traded this offseason which a lot of people have been questioning 
Um, and then they extend Fournier, which would be interesting to say the least. I'm not sure if he's the solution in the backcourt, but for the time being, he makes them look really good and makes me really optimistic. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Look <laughs> with the Celtics team, I'm just tempering my expectations because, you know, even though they're hot right now, I still feel like they have a ceiling that they'll reach. And ultimately, until they can surround Tatum with like really good shooters, really good shooters at every position, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult. Um, I feel like once they can do that, though, it's just high pick and roll all day, and let Tatum drive to the cup and kick out, um, settle for his own mm-hmm. shot. But for the time being, they have their limitations. Um, that's about it for the Celtics. Anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I think that's it. Felt felt great to be back on the pod. I did. Sorry for the hiatus, all our listeners, but <laughs> we should be back in the swing of things now. Um, yeah, feels great to be back. Thank you guys so much for listening.